This audio presentation is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. Good morning, everyone. This is Jeff Heide. I run media relations at Rand. Welcome to this call with the experts. I am joined here by Jennifer Bowie, Tim Heath, and Amanda Kerrigan. We're all coming to you from the somewhat gloomy, rainy, chilly DC area. Jennifer is an epidemiologist and the Tang Chair for China Policies here at RAND. Tim is a senior international defense researcher, and Amanda is a policy researcher who recently joined us at RAND. I'll lead a conversation for 20 minutes or so, and then we'll open up to questions. Jennifer, uh, I'll start with you with the, the big question on the public health front. Now that Beijing has reversed course uh, and is moving away from its zero COVID approach, is there going to be an Omicron tsunami in China? Is that a certainty? And if so, how, how, how big might it be? Yeah, from the epidemiology perspective, I think it's pretty uh, much a certain uh, wave. Uh, a, and uh, many of the uh, uh, models, uh, the mathematical and epidemiology, a model showing that it will be a tsunami. Um, so I think the the key issue here is, of course, the the virus. Uh, even though the zero dynamic uh, control has uh, uh, blocked the big waves in China for the previous variants, the alpha, the delta, um, but Omicron uh, turns out to be uh, a really uh, a vi- virus that spread really fast, and uh, the COVID zero cannot stop its spreading. And, and what kind of numbers are we talking about? Uh, according to this uh, uh, very, I think, very nicely done uh, mathematical modeling study that using the Hong Kong uh, outbreak and Shanghai outbreak as the, uh, the calibration of that model and using the current data uh, of the health system in China, they predicted uh, that if uh, in, in the spring, if Shanghai's case uh, is continuing uh, without a lockdown, uh, a whole city lockdown, uh, there would be uh, about uh, 100 million symptomatic cases. There will be uh, about uh, 5 million hospital uh, admissions, 2.7 million uh, ICU cases, and one point, up to 1.6 million deaths. That's only from Omicron, not, not, not including the excessive deaths that can uh, come from the health system straight. These are huge numbers. Can the healthcare system cope? No, that's the other problem. Uh, the this article and as well as many article has documented uh, that China, even though the hospital beds are uh, plenty, they calculate about three million hospital beds, but the ICU beds are uh, pretty low in terms of its density. Uh, it's about 70,000, less than 70,000 for the whole country. So that comes to 4.5 uh, per 100,000. Uh, this is in a scale compared to, for, say, say, for U.S., uh, it's about from 25 to 35 uh, per 100,000. Uh, so uh, that there you can see that even uh, South Korea has a density about 10 uh, per 100,000. So China is much lower uh, in terms of its ICU density. If I'm doing the math right, then maybe they have about a tenth of what could be needed? 
Yes, that's what uh, uh, has been presented. And, and uh, it's also published. These are uh, well-known uh, facts. And uh, is this because there aren't enough uh, vaccines? Is, is it because of the, the zero COVID approach? There's not enough boosters? What, what's what's okay. causing this? Yeah, so current situation, even, you know, when we talk about the summer or the early fall, uh, the situation is that uh, this is a pretty uh, a population with low uh, herd immunity. Uh, so very few people has exposure to previous rounds of uh, COVID. And uh, the vaccine overall rate is high. It's about 90% for the primary vaccination. However, the booster rate is quite low. To this day, it's only about 44 44% of the population are not boosted. And we know that the vaccine, even though it's the efficacy is slightly lower than the mRNA, it's an inactivate activate uh, activated virus uh, vaccine. Uh, but the, the critical part is it needs to be boosted. And that part is low. Um, so I think to me, the biggest question is that given the Hong Kong outbreak, which created one of the highest uh, mortality uh, in January and February, and then the exponential uh, increase of cases in Shanghai before the lockdown, and all these modeling studies have showing this gap, why there was no uh, booster campaign in the summer, uh, why there were, there's no uh, stock, stockpile of the antiviral uh, treatments uh, in the summer. So even about a month ago, I think the went after the November twentieth, when the twentieth, the twenty points, uh, that's sort of a re- revision of the uh, of the COVID uh, policy, uh, came up. Uh, the local government are still insist on using the uh, the zero COVID uh, policy quarantines and and the mass testing. Uh, it's not until uh, December first when the China's premier. Uh, Sun Chunlan uh, clearly say, well, this is a, now it's a different situation. We have to change the policy. So it's not until December 1st that the policy changed suddenly uh, without, I, I feel that there's almost no preparation before this. So you you posed a number of big questions there and you're, you're, you're essentially uh, uh, making a critique. What what what's the answer? Why why do you think this level of unpreparation? Well, I, I think it's um, you know there are um, some uh, speculations. Uh, why you know in November twentieth? Why wait till no- November? First of all, uh, I think by November it's pretty clear that even the the COVID as uh, dynamic COVID zero policy is not stopping uh, the spread of the of the disease uh, of the virus. Um, but that November t- the, the twenty points was relatively mild. Uh, it's sim- these policies are similar to what we have seen. Uh, in uh, Asia, many other Asian countries that ex- experienced a, uh, a a wave, Omicron wave, uh, earlier this year, usually from January to March. Um, so I think that the idea is that after the 20th uh, uh, People's Congress, this is a time to revise the uh, the policy and the 20 points were there to 
prep uh, the population. Um, the idea is, well, if the booster starts, then then after a couple a couple months, maybe it's ready for opening. However, I think it's came a little bit too late. Um, I think by then they, we already see over you know two hundred uh, cities in in China has has cases reporting, and some of the cases cities cases are soaring at the time. So. But and at the same time, I think the local government officials were not clear. You know, is this a real change of policy, or is it a just a adaptation? So many of them are afraid. You know, they they if the COVID uh, outbreak uh, starts in their their you know their area, then they will be punished. So they still very much insist. Uh, that to use the very strong uh, measure to stop the COVID. Uh, so I think that's that's probably what's happened. It, it, this sounds to uh, an extent a case of messaging and whether the messaging is, is good or bad. Maybe this is a good moment to turn to Tim. Uh, Tim, initially, the messaging was all about uh, potentially fake or bad vaccines and this was uh, making everyone quite f- fearful. It was a kind of terror in the population. What, how, how do you how do you view the messaging then, and how it's shifting? So, yes, a couple of things to bear in mind when this uh, pandemic emerged. There was the backdrop of a series of scandals related to the pharmaceutical industry, in which vaccines were given to. Uh, patients that were um, either fake or adulterated or otherwise not what they were supposed to be. And people would take the vaccines and they could get uh, quite sick. And and once word got out, uh, the people who already have a high level of distrust of Chinese-made food products and pharmaceutical products, uh, it only deepened their uh, distrust of vaccines. This is especially true among the elderly population who were given a message early in the in the pandemic that uh, they were especially vulnerable. And when vaccines began to become available um, due to a lack of data on how the vaccines would affect older people, the Chinese government did not prioritize vaccinating elderly and sick people, but instead prioritized vaccinating healthy people. And this this also encouraged a belief among China's older population that the vaccines were dangerous to them, that the side effects could be uh, have severe effects. Um, so uh, that message became uh, entrenched, and it is a huge issue now as the government tries to reverse course and uh, overcome that. Moreover, the initial messaging from the government was that this COVID is so deadly and dangerous that it is important to stop its spread. So mm-hmm. that justified a zero COVID approach. And ironically, initially, the Chinese did seem to score successes compared to China. America's COVID case uh, situation was notoriously uh, uh, you know, very devastating. We, we had a huge numbers of infections and deaths and the Chinese propaganda machinery trumpeted this contrast as a justification for their policy. Uh, The problem is, over time, despite all of America's setbacks, we found a way out of it. Our vaccines have uh, helped us find a way to live with COVID. 
And the Chinese who, who are sticking with a model that brought them early success are finding themselves increasingly imprisoned uh, by this you know, zero COVID approach. And the, and the propaganda uh, bureaucracy is now trying to reverse course again, uh, per the guidance from Beijing and, and downplay COVID. This is going to further, I think, fuel distrust and skepticism among many Chinese people who are not sure how much truth the government is really telling. And in, in that, in that has sparked protests. Maybe, Amanda, I could turn to you on, on how the, the population is responding and, and, and protesting. Uh, are the protests, uh, uh, do you see them ebbing or accelerating given the current dynamics? Hard to tell now. Currently, they're not at the levels that they were previously. But um, what I might expect, based on what we've seen from China's history over the past few decades with protests, is that these protests may may come in kind of waves, fits and starts. So as the Chinese system tries to adjust to its new COVID policies and people try to adjust to them, we may see some protests throughout that adjustment process. Um, protest is a is a tool that people use when their institutions fail. So when people's frustrations hit a certain point and there are no institutions for them to you know, project those grievances, then we can expect them to you know, turn back to protests. Assuming, caveat, that, that people are not too afraid. There have been some reports that people have disappeared since the protests. So that's also something to watch as well. But but the the nature of the protests is it is it uh, from what you've seen so far is is it is the dynamic what you've seen in the past and uh, in in terms of how it might shift if if things get as bad as uh, Jennifer was just describing how would you expect uh, these protests to, to evolve? So what we saw. Uh, over the past few weeks was 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 new newer in the sense that we had multiple protests together protesting a national policy. So that that's been relatively rare in China's you know modern history over the since Tiananmen. So that's why it got so much so much attention. But protests happen all the time at the local levels in China. So for all sorts of grievances, whether it's an environmental grievance, a land grievance, even a healthcare grievance. And so something that is a common phenomenon in China's healthcare system is people protesting or in some in some cases resorting to violence against doctors and healthcare workers when they're dissatisfied with the healthcare system. So what may happen in this case is that as as Jennifer was saying as hospitals become overwhelmed and don't have enough ICU uh, beds or other services for uh, for sick patients um, not just COVID patients, but other patients they might not be able to see as well, we might see some more strife and struggles between patients and families and hospitals. And so that's something to potentially watch um, as, as we go, as, as things go forward. It's not just the sort of anti-national policy protest. It's also going to be kind of at the local level against hospitals, some more uh, strife and some more protests at that level as well. Got it. Thank you. Uh, let me let me put uh, two questions from Barry Pavel uh, that are in the chat to the group. Uh, the first is, what are likely to be the global health implications of this Chinese COVID surge? And will this be similar to the beginning of the pandemic when Chinese cases caused, caused mass infections in the rest of the world? Uh, that might be a, a, a good one for Jennifer. 
Yeah, so good question. Um, so I think uh, at at this point, it's almost like China is catching up with the rest of the world. Uh, so I think in in terms of the immunity, I think the China's uh, immunity to uh, to, mainly in China's immunity to COVID-19 is lower than the other parts of the world. So I don't think that's a big concern of the cases coming out of China. However, uh, just the, given that this will be a large population uh, transmission, uh, we have probably one-fourth of the, the world population is uh, facing this uh, this uh, this uh, infection. So whether there will be new variants more likely to come out of this tsunami, that's possible. So I think it's really critical for China to communicate with WHO and with other public health, global health organizations to continue to monitor the, the variants coming out and to monitor for, you know, for the global health community to monitor the symptoms and the changes of, uh, of the uh, response, because this is a constant struggle between uh, the virus and uh, the immunity of the whole world. And, and, a, and a pretty natural follow-up to that point from Barry is uh, since the CCP often conceals or changes data to suit their propaganda purposes, how do we really know how many Chinese cases and deaths are occurring? Um, Jennifer, you want to start with that one, but Amanda and Tim, feel free, feel free to weigh in. Yeah, I would say uh, I would say when when the uh, policy is successful, we can uh, trust the number better. When the tr- uh, policy fails, that's usually when we see the the number doesn't make sense. And right now, uh, what we see is actually the the COVID uh, infection number dropped since December first. Uh, the December 1st is the time that when uh, the uh, uh, China's premier, Sun Chuanlan, said there, there shouldn't be a mass testing. So I think this drop of cases definitely do not reflect what's happening in China, given the social, uh, what's on the social media, what's on the news. Uh, what's on the the, the pictures? Uh, actually, uh, Beijing is the hotspot now. It's a very dystopian uh, picture there. Uh, the streets are empty, shops are empty, the hospitals are long lines, and uh, the many of the community hospitals has actually closed, and the pharmacies are uh, sh- uh, short of uh, the medicine. Yeah. So, so I think the the, the question is correct. That I I think the, now the the the, the number doesn't uh, really reflect the epidemic. Yeah. So I think uh, in what we know of countries that follow zero COVID type restrictions early in the pandemic, the overall death rate did seem lower. So I I think that's a really good point by Jennifer that early in the crisis, uh, the the policies seemed to work and the overall death rate and infection rate in China by all accounts was lower than in the US. But as we move forward, I think that CCP is has a very strong incentive to begin suppressing information once they loosen the restrictions and they start to go through what America has already gone through. So at the end of the day, I don't think there's a way around. If you loosen up, there's going to be a soaring number of infections and deaths. I don't think there, it doesn't seem like there's any way around that unless you can really get 100% vaccination or really high vaccination rates, which China at this point does not seem like it will be able to do. So going forward, 
and I agree with Jennifer, as the policy is, has proven more and more incapable of stopping variants like Omicron, I think doubts have been growing about the reported numbers of infections and deaths. Those doubts will only grow once they loosen even further the restrictions and the deaths and infections will uh, almost certainly increase to very high levels. Okay. Uh, a few questions from Shaoshan at uh, POA. Uh, the first one uh, is referring to a Shanghai-based doctor who suggested that the COVID wave in major cities like Shanghai and Guangzhou uh, would peak in one month and take three to six months to get over. Another health expert, Zhang Nanshan, forecasts China might be back to pre-COVID normal by mid-2023. Uh, so the question is, when do we think the COVID peak will arrive in China? January, Spring Festival? Jennifer, you want to hazard a guess? Yeah, if we look at the, the cases uh, earlier this year in other Asian countries that started with uh, uh, more of a COVID zero type of uh, control, when they open up, uh, what we see in Singapore, in uh uh, Taiwan, in uh, Hong Kong, uh, and uh, in South Korea and Japan, uh, what happened is there will be a big wave uh, in the, the first wave uh, of, of uh, Omicron, and then they will continue with a smaller, still moderate uh, case number reports. I, I think the, the uh, healthcare system limit will be reached. Uh, very quickly, probably uh, in the models showing about 30 to 40 days. So that would be, you know, end of January and it happens on the Chinese New Year too. So that is where we'll see uh, probably the first crisis uh, relates to the health system. But I think the infection will have multiple waves uh, in the next six months. And, and Barry Cavell had another question that ties into that. Uh, if that worst case scenario develops, what should the U.S. and other countries around the world be doing to protect their citizens uh, from a, a China-based spread? Well, I think, again, I think the this is still the Omicron wave, unless there's a new variance coming out of it that's uh, worse, uh, create more severe diseases. Uh, or spread even faster than the current uh, variants. Uh, otherwise, uh, I think right now the uh, China's reporting is the BA5, uh, and maybe the BQ1 is starting somewhere. So these are still the uh, the known variants out, uh, outside China. Uh, and I think with uh, the U.S. Uh, personnel, if they have recently boosted and have the sufficient vaccine, uh, then they should be have better immunity than most of the people in China. So what is the how would you identify what the current hotspot is? Where is the current hotspot and which variant is it that we should be paying most attention to? Well, uh, right now, from just from the social media, so we, we don't really have any uh, reliable official numbers anymore as they stopped the, the testing. Uh, from the social media observation is that Beijing and the northern China uh, is uh, the the, uh, the hotspot, um, and uh, the majority of the the strain are uh, the the B uh, the 
BA5. Um, then I think the new strain, uh, the BQ1, they said they only in a couple of provinces outside China. So they're trying, uh, the, the, in the social media, there are lots of discussion about these different strains. Uh, Shaoshan had a few other follow-ups. Uh, one is uh, after, whenever the cases do peak and when do we think China might might go back to a pre-COVID normal? And then somewhat related to that is, do we have any specific policy or medical recommendations to the Chinese government on how to get through all this? Well, I was just emphasize, I think this is really the, just the beginning of we're seeing this tsunami at the very beginning. Uh, so there will be, I uh, expect that it will last, uh, you know, several months. Uh, and depends how the uh, healthcare system uh, stands. Uh, I think there might uh, spill over to other problems. Uh, and recently, I think only yesterday, we see that uh, many of the blood bank in China is in shortage uh, of supply. Uh, so I think, you know, often these are the health issues we don't anticipate uh, directly linked with COVID, but because of less, much less people are donating blood uh, in the last few months, and there's concern of, of com- contamination of asymptomatic cases. So now the blood bank is low. Uh, so there are lots of uncertainties now, um, but uh, again, you know, this is the beginning. And what government can do, uh, again, you know, this is back to the really the FP101 is the vaccine, uh, vaccine, vaccine, and also the anti, uh, antiviral treatment to reduce the mortality rate for, for the vulnerable population. And then we see uh, the government just starting in the last couple of days talking about booster and antiviral uh, medicine. Good. Um, Amanda, do you have any thoughts on uh, on this question about what to do? Yes, uh, a broad observation is we've, we've been talking here and there about the role of local officials and, and sort of the, the pressure they've been put upon during this pandemic. And it's actually, you know, local officials in, in China actually show a, a very high degree of flexibility and adaptation and creativity um, when given the, the, the ability to do that. So, for example, in zero COVID, if the goal is zero COVID, they're going to do everything they can to, to achieve zero COVID. Um, But if they are given better and more flexible goals, like a certain amount of economic growth, certain health criteria that are a little bit more flexible and allow them to uh, implement policies that fit their specific situation. We know from decades of Chinese history that local officials can can do that and and do show some the ability to to do that. So, um, yes, thanks. Thanks. Good. Thanks, Amanda. This all sounds. uh... Uh, quite difficult for Chinese leadership. Uh, maybe we could look at a few implications. Economic would be a, one to speak with. Of course, uh, if we had our own Howard Schatz on here, he would be a, a great expert for this. But I, I know that uh, you all have some insights as well. Uh, what First off, what are we seeing in terms of how this is affecting the economy, how it's affecting the number of workers who are getting to their their workplaces or not. Uh, Tim, could you start on that? Sure. Um, so COVID has been a, a hammer blow on the Chinese economy for several reasons. First off, it's worth bearing in mind the context. China has been trying for a number of years to wean itself off a of dependence 
on export industries and investment-driven growth as construction and real estate. And, and they've been trying to nurture a consumer-driven uh, economy. This COVID has obviously uh, set that back. People cannot shop or their shopping has gone way down. Uh, their ability to eat at restaurants has gone away. And not only that, people are using up all their savings, uh, staying at home, many unemployed or underemployed. And so the actual consumption power of the Chinese citizen has gone down, which has deepened the imbalances in the Chinese economy. Moreover, the deepening dependence on exports comes at a terrible time for China because U.S. and Europe, which are the main markets, are expected to be headed more and more towards something resembling a recession, which means demand in the West will go down, which will add even more pressure on the Chinese economy. So, um, and we've seen in the headlines that the real estate bubble is finally starting to pop. That is that is a major part of the Chinese economy, like almost 20 to 30% of, of GDPs in real estate. Uh, so uh, we can expect that the Chinese economy will be under immense pressure. This will add further incentive for, for government officials to try to ease up on the COVID restrictions. But again, the drawback of that is uh, there will almost likely be or unavoidably be a surge in deaths and infections as Jennifer laid out. So the Chinese government is in a terrible dilemma uh, it's damned if it does. It's damned if it doesn't ease up restrictions on COVID, and the economy is um, is is looking pretty grim for China, at least for the near future. Who's going to be blamed? <laughs> well, you can expect that the Chinese government will do everything it can to deflect blame off of Xi Jinping. What we're seeing coming out in the messaging is a great deal of effort is being put into blaming the West. There's a lot of disinformation coming from the highest levels of uh, Chinese propaganda that insinuates that America created COVID-19 at Fort Detrick and that COVID-19 was the result of some military experiment gone awry. So there, there's uh, the Chinese apparently picked up this conspiracy theory idea somewhere off the Internet and are running with it. And this is one way to deflect blame. Uh, but uh the Chinese are also going to, I think, rely on heavy repression of data and distortion of data that reveals the extent of sickness and death that, that will arise as the restrictions ease. And then to the extent uh, they have to, the Chinese central government has a long history of blaming local officials for unpleasant facts. And this is possible as well, um, where they feel that data cannot be suppressed and a picture of real horrors emerging. Uh, it will be convenient for Beijing to blame local officials for for incompetence. I think, Tim, that I'm, I'm picking up from the way you're describing this, that there have been precedents in Chinese history for handling these kinds of situations in certain ways. Uh, there, there are certainly the tension between Beijing and local officials is a longstanding one, um, and, uh, and for years the, there has been this tussle between the provinces, where actually where most of the money and power is, is frankly located, and uh, Beijing, which is forever trying to assert its dominance over over you know powerful provincial officials and provincial economies. Yeah, I was wondering. I was wondering whether it was it was it's fair to go back to uh, the Great Leap Forward or other you know really uh, epochal 
periods for China? Well, Great Leap Forward provides a cautionary tale for China if if the top leader takes the blame. In the Great Leap Forward, estimates of up to 30 million Chinese people died due to mis, uh, you know, misguided policies initiated by Mao Zedong. He was blamed by the, his rivals in the elite gov- in the elite circles and the top levels of government, and uh, subsequently marginalized. And uh, this was a massive humiliation for Mao. I think Xi Jinping is going to do everything in his power to avoid that. He's definitely not tolerating any rivals who could criticize him publicly. He's made sure those guys are locked away. And uh, given his control of the media apparatus, I, I think you can be sure that blame will be deflected elsewhere to the West, to local officials. Um, it, it will go somewhere else. All right. Back to the here and now. Uh, Karen Wantraub from USA Today has a question. Any sense of the availability of COVID boosters, uh, booster vaccines, antivirals such as Paxlovid or Remdesivir, are these already available or manufactured or uh, will China be scrambling to try to get them from elsewhere? Uh, Jennifer, that's probably best for you. Yeah, um, China produces its own boosters uh, and has uh, shipped uh, many of, uh, I mean, its vaccine to many uh, parts of the world. Uh, so I think they do have the uh, the capacity to to create their own uh, boosters. Uh, in terms of antiviral, Paxlovid was uh, approved by China FDA in July uh, this year. However, and, and there's a company, uh, Zhejiang Huahai, uh, it has been. Uh, uh, the des- designated uh, 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 company f- uh, to work for with, with Pfizer on that. However, there there hasn't been there hasn't been any uh, sale uh, in in the on the market until the last couple of days. They're talking about online sale of uh, the Paxlovid. Uh, there's a, a China also approved another uh, anti HIV virus uh, medicine that can be used for as antiviral. So that also showing up uh, in the last couple of days. And then I think Merck is uh, talking about uh, a deal with China on its. Uh, antiviral monopiravir as a potential. Uh, But uh, as you can see, these uh, medicine has not been on the market uh, and uh, no one knows how how much uh, these uh, medicine are available uh, here in in China. China has been promoting its own uh, herb medicine, Chinese herb medicine, uh, but so far, we really haven't seen any clinical trials on its effect efficiency. Um, sticking with the, the vaccines for a moment, so are are the Sinovac and Sinopharm uh, vaccines the only ones that are still available? Yeah, those two are the main. Uh, initially, China started on the uh, the approving four uh, 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 the. Uh, uh, the vaccines that are created by the country, but Sinovac, Sinopharm were the ones that in mass production. Um, so they, they were, there was also, uh, the, I think the Pfizer's uh, mRNA vaccine has been approved by the China FDA, but, and it has been shipped and manufactured uh, in China, but uh, only, I think it was only used in Hong Kong. 
uh, only the citizens in Hong Kong can have the choice of either the Pfizer vaccine or the Chinese uh, Sinopharm vaccine. Uh, most of the people in uh, mainland China does not have that choice. Is this a pure case of nationalism or was there some other reason for this? My suspicion is so. Uh, I think uh, China was uh, very early on in 2020. Uh, they uh, are very keen on being the first to have a effective vaccine. Uh, they, they did have the first vaccine uh, started the clinical trials. I think it was in March 2020. Uh, although that one didn't, uh, it was not a Sinovac. Uh, so I think they, they really want to build a, a national pride on this vaccine. Thank you. Uh, Amanda or Tim, anything you want to add here? Yeah, I, I will add that politics has definitely been a big part of China's management of the vaccine from the very beginning. One example is the reluctance of the Chinese government to change course once Xi Jinping declared this is the way we're going to handle it. The government uh, refused to budge right up through the party congress. And only when the protests broke out did the government start to uh, bend. Moreover, we've seen a uh, narrative that that frequently contrasts China and success as defined by the CCP with what is going on in the West. And uh, this disparagement and criticism of Western countries, their vaccines, their failures, actually is making it has made it harder for China to turn to the West for help. People have often asked, why isn't China simply bought mRNA vaccines from the West? And uh, if you read their media and their frequent uh, disparagement and criticism and belittling of, of the West, you could see that. Uh, politically, it is a very tough pill for 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 those folks in Beijing to swallow to to denounce the West on the one hand, then turn to them to save China on the other. So I think uh, the political angle should not be ignored when we are trying to understand China's approach to managing COVID. Are there neighboring countries that uh, obviously have taken different approaches, but but have taken approaches that China either might or should? draw from? Well, I studied uh, South Korea's uh, reaction, uh, response to COVID. And I think uh, at the very beginning of the the, uh, the pandemic, they did a almost perfect uh, case. Uh, uh, they had the testing uh, kits uh, on very early on before their first uh, epidemic in February 2020. And, and then, you know, the whole system uh, has, we have published that uh, re research. Um, many of the Asian country has to import uh, the uh, the mRNA technology, but they have built a very strong regional hub uh, for production. Uh, so that's why we see that the uptake of vaccine was a little bit slower than the Western countries, but they have caught up very quickly last year in the second half of the 2021. And beginning of this year, I think that really helps them quite a lot uh, with the, um, uh, the Omicron. Uh, as you can see, that New Zealand uh, only had about two per million uh, death rate, mortality rate at the beginning of the Omicron, whereas Hong Kong was very low 
uh, uh, vaccination rate in January uh, had uh, you know uh, multiple times 38 per 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 million uh, mortality of that. So that you can see the difference of the vaccination uh, impact. Um, so I think if China uh, are look, looking for models, there are plenty of models they can follow. Fair enough. Amanda, uh, Tim, Jennifer, thanks for joining us. If anyone has follow-up questions, uh, send a note to media at rand.org and uh, appreciate everyone joining. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.